Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Augie. Morning. Good morning. How are y'all today? Uh, uh, good, um, uh, though, um, uh, with a little bit of sobriety, because um, this is an anniversary, is it not, Judy? It is the first anniversary of Russia's escalated war in Ukraine. Yeah. Yep. And kids, I've been sleeping too well lately. So we've asked Judy back to help <laughs> me remember why I shouldn't be getting too comfortable. Um, and actually, because in the news, not only is this the anniversary, but we just had President Putin stand up in front of everybody and say, we don't want your stupid Star Treaty anymore. Go away. Um, and I, I thought, oh, there's got to be meaning there. And you know who we should ask? We should, we should ask Judy Twig um, because she will know the answer. So what's up with that? Is that is that a thing that should keep us up at night? Um, in the grand scheme of things that keep me up at night, that one's actually fairly far down on the list. Oh, good. Okay. It's, it's significant, right? But it's it's not significant compared to much else that's going on uh, in the sort of global strategic landscape and with regard to Russia. Okay. So so here's the deal with with START. Um, nucle strategic nuclear arms control between the United States and what was the Soviet Union and what is now Russia goes back decades, right? The first treaties were put in place back in the late 1960s, early 1970s. And, and, and those were important, robust, you know, sort of life-altering treaties, right? Although it's interesting that if you look at the title of the first set of treaties, they were called SALT, Strategic yeah. Arms Limitation Talks, okay, and ah. treaties. So those talks back then, which were landmark, which were mind-bogglingly important, but they didn't even pretend to reduce the number yes. of existing <laughs> warheads or delivery vehicles. They just put a cap on future numbers of warheads and delivery vehicles that could be developed. So that's, that's how bad the relationship was back then, but how important it was to put some boundaries on what strategic weapons development and deployment could look like. That having said, the numbers that we were talking about then were literally tens of thousands of nuclear warheads and delivery vehicles enough to, to ship those warheads um, at a moment's notice um, from one country's territory across the planet to the other country's territory. That's what made them strategic is that one you know, that these weapons could travel halfway around the world, Washington could hit Moscow and, and vice versa directly. And that is, and the United States and Russia were the first two countries to be able to do that, to, to reach each other from across the world? That is correct. Okay. Hence why it was so important for those two countries to come to some sort of understanding about the non-explodiness of the other one. Right. So those two countries were the entire ballgame back then, right? It was the United States and the Soviet Union that were locked in this bipolar global international competition. And so they were the world's major diplomatic, economic, military powers. And yes, that's why it was important for arms control to be conducted bilaterally between those two countries. Okay. And START was negotiated in which presidential administration, Judy? Um, it, so START goes back to when the Cold War ended mm -hmm. and the Soviet Union collapsed. So we have these new rounds of START, strategic arms reduction 
talks and strategic arms reduction yeah, treaties. Yeah, so yeah. here we're actually decreasing the number of warheads. So there were under the first President Bush and subsequent presidents to make that happen. Um, and that involved processes of literal physical dismantling of nuclear weapons and their delivery vehicles, and in some ways, the capacity to construct those things. And there's some pretty intrusive verification measures that are required to make sure that you trust that the other guy is actually living up to the terms of the agreement. So the key here, you know, the, the, there are two keys to these agreements. Um, always remember President Reagan said, trust but verify. Um, in, in Russian, um, the verification part is key because if you're gonna be talking about destroying weapons, you need to get in there and make sure that the other side really is doing the destruction part of the equation. So it's extraordinary what we've been able to do. We, we got from tens of thousands of nuclear warheads on each side, the current START treaty that President Putin has now said he will no longer abide by. He hasn't said he'll withdraw from it. Yeah. He's not gonna, adhere to its provisions anymore. So there's a legal technical difference there. Um, takes both sides down to 1,550 nuclear warheads, so nuclear bombs. So that's, and we're talking like a, a, an order of magnitude reduction from where we were 30, 40 years ago and 700 delivery vehicles. Because that's so right. that's 700 either intercontinental ballistic missiles or submarine launched ballistic missiles or long range strategic bombers. So that's your, that's your land, sea and air, your three legs of the nuclear strategic triad. 700 total, 700 not 700 total, in each. Right, 700 total delivery vehicles. So, yes. so wait, so when uh, President Putin said, uh, we're not gonna abide by this, does that mean he's tomorrow gonna go out and build a gazillion nuclear bombs? No. And this is okay. where I think um, major concerns about President Putin's announcement the other day that he was no longer going to abide by the terms of this treaty are a little bit overblown because the verification part of this treaty, which as we've already said, is key. Um, we haven't had verification inspection missions for over three years. Yeah. They got suspended because of COVID. And then they remain suspended because Russia invaded Ukraine and Russia didn't want Americans poking around Russian military installations when we are essentially at proxy war with, with one another. So Putin making a big political fussy show over no longer abiding by the provisions of this treaty is, is code for I am not going to entertain a conversation that lets you think for a moment that we're going to have American military inspectors over here crawling around our military bases at a time when we are, for all intents and purposes, at war. Yeah, I but, mean, but it's it not a real change. Correct. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, and, 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 and uh, Judy, just a few moments ago, you went ahead and, and mentioned uh, the word that uh, Putin used was suspend, okay, which in international law, correct me if I'm wrong, when you have a, a treaty, one side saying that they are suspending participation does not have the same weight as one side of a treaty saying we are withdrawing, right? because withdrawing basically means you're ending the contract, 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, and I hate to put it in such legal terms. But, but it matters. Yeah. But it does matter. And that was one of the reasons why, in part, I wanted you to come on to the podcast episode because I, I, I was just like, so he's saying suspending the media is talking about how this is like a really big deal. But the old international law geek in me is just like suspending. That's not usually one of the options with these, you know, yeah. you know multi-nation agreements. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it, it struck me as he, he was trying to score points perhaps domestically at home. Yes, that's exactly right. Oh, that's okay. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So that speech was a whole lot about the Russian people and him saying, we're not going to be taken advantage of. This is not okay. And right, that sort of thing. So just one element in a speech that was just over the top in its nationalistic warmongering propaganda. Ah, okay. I was going to ask you, that speech went on for quite a while, didn't it? Yeah, he does that. Yeah. People who, well, but people who say that he's (laughs) gravely ill. I don't know that he's gravely ill. He talked for an hour and a half with no, I mean, he didn't stop for anything to drink or to go to the bathroom or I mean, he just kept going. So yeah, he, and the, these rumors have been coming up for 15 years, you know, at various points, ah. gravely ill with back problems, various kinds of cancers. Um, it does look like his face has been Botoxed. Um, <laughs> um, but, well, maybe he just wants to look youthful. He oh he's obsessed with looking youthful. Yeah, I mean his girlfriend's about twenty, so yeah, um, she's a lovely ballerina, I think. <laughs> um, rhythmic gymnast. Oh yeah. my bad. O- Olympic uh, caliber rhythmic gym- gymnast. Yes. Which you know it's good to be the dictator. Um, <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> so, uh, but you don't think that he is also immediately dying, right? No, like they, no, he's just I, this is just a part of the rumor right thing yeah. that goes around i mean he has long lived for a for a russian male is he not because he he, he abstains from alcohol he abstains from smoking right the two major killers of russian males i think right is that correct and he exercises um as well. uh, yeah he wrestles bears and with his and uh, does judo and posters and <laughs> <laughs> um, so so how's the war going for him? Um, certainly not as he had planned. Um, you know, one year ago on this date, it's pretty clear that he thought he would take Kiev within a couple of days, a week tops, um, you know, get rid of the Zelensky government, put in a puppet government controlled by Moscow. And at best we would have a rump Ukrainian state based in some of the far western regions of what we you know what on the map is Ukraine. And we'd probably have a Zelensky led government in exile based somewhere in the Baltic, something like that. Um, huh? And that you know that could have happened, right? You know, on that very first day, we our, our NATO allies went to Zelensky and said, let us get you out of there. Let's keep you safe. And that famous, incredibly brave, inspirational line from Zelensky, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. Yes. That, that set the tone, and I don't want to give Zelensky full credit for this, that set the tone for the entire Ukrainian people's response to this, which has been, get off my land yeah. and, and don't ever come back. Um, so that, that's been the response. Um, so the, the in, in broad brush terms, um, 
Moscow didn't take Kiev right off the bat, but it did take a pretty good chunk of Ukrainian territory as we went into the spring of 2022. And Ukraine turned around with counteroffensives that have retaken much of that territory. Now we have about a 600 kilometer line in the eastern part of the country that, to be honest, looks a whole lot like World War I. It is miserable, slow moving, literal trench warfare that's costing an unbelievable amount in, in lives and in treasure. Uh, the quicker we can get the advanced weapons there that we're increasingly promising to Ukraine that will let them move that line further back, the better off Ukraine will be. Um, there's a lot of talk about a renewed Russian offensive this spring when the weather gets better. Uh, Questions about whether or not Russia will have learned from the many strategic and tactical military errors it's made over the last year. Questions about whether newly mobilized Russian conscripts will be able to turn that battlefield tide. And, and I'll just pause and do a little tangent here. Russia has literally been going around to prisons and yeah. telling prisoners all across the country, you want to get out of here? come be our cannon fodder. Um, so they've been taking prisoners and they've been taken, I mean, literally they've been plucking military age men off the streets. Uh, they've been disproportionately doing this with non-ethnic Russian men throughout the territory of the Russian Federation. And there are a lot of those. So there's a heavy dose of imperialist racism involved in how this is going. Um, and they are counting on winning this war by doing what Russian militaries have done since the beginning of time, which is replace technology with manpower. They don't have the technology, and so they're hoping they can just use their overwhelming advantage with just numbers of men that they're willing to send to slaughter and that that will turn the tide. So we need to have the best technology in Ukraine's hands, because the number of people Ukraine has to bring to bear on this conflict is limited. Um, we need to give Ukraine the technology it needs to be able to overcome that willingness of Russia to send tens of thousands. Now I think we're into hundreds of thousands of young Russian men to their deaths. I have a question about that. So is that, so really what it's coming down to is, in terms of Ukraine needs to be able to kill thousands and thousands and thousands of Russian men, right? And they need weapons that allow them to do that sort of mass destruction, which is what the West is trying to give them. But they also have to be trained to use those weapons. So that's where you're getting the lag time of, you can't just hand somebody a weapon and say, ta-da, like if you just handed me a bazooka, I would shoot myself in the face with it. Let's be honest. Um, I, I wouldn't hurt anybody else. I would hurt myself because I don't know how to do anything like that. So that's the lag time, right? Is, is there enough time to teach Ukraine to use those military weapons before the Russians get enough people on the on the line to sort of push forward just with sheer numbers? Is there enough time? So, or is it going to be really close? Is it going to be one of those nail-biting sort of things? Um, so it already is. Um, oh, okay. It, so great question. Um, although 
the we can't send them the argument that we can't send them these advanced weapon systems until we've trained them and therefore there's a built-in substantial lag time argument is um there's a pretty hefty bs factor built baked into that oh okay <laughs> because um ukraine has nato allies right across the border right so while we're having all of the the political back and forth about whether or not to send these weapon systems to Ukraine, we're sending Ukrainian troops into Poland to get them trained on the weapon systems now. Ah, okay. So, so the, the whole they need to be trained thing is a nice cover, but these are political decisions, um, political debates that are being had about the extent to which the Western Alliance is willing to spend the money um, and you know, and, and the hardware, right? Because we, we are having to replace the stuff that we're sending to Ukraine um, in our own arsenals then, right? You know, when we empty out our warehouses to send stuff to Ukraine, we have to refill those warehouses so that we have the stuff we need as well. So it's, it's a money thing. Um, and uh. to President Biden's credit, um, he has been just, I, I, I'm, gobsmacked by how effective he and his team have been at pulling some of the more reluctant European allies along with this. Can I just say, by the way, that I would not want to be on the team where the president turns to you and says, hey, tomorrow I'd like to be in Ukraine, make it happen. <laughs> right, because, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, you want to go where, sir? You want to do what? Uh, I think this is a terrible idea, except it seemed to work out. Hey, Biden likes trains, so he got a great tenor. Right? <laughs> That's true. He um, was known for that, isn't he? Yeah, that yeah. trip was in the planning for months. And the moment he said, I'm going to Poland, I, everybody knew he was going ah. to Poland. Gotcha. One last question, uh, uh, Judy, uh, uh, before we end this uh, episode. Uh, I wanted to ask you um, uh, your thoughts about both the president and the vice president um, uh, making the accusation that Russia has uh, committed crimes against humanity, um, which um, uh, caught at least some observers uh, a little off uh, when within a, a one week period, I, I think it was just a couple of days, they both went ahead and said that. could. Could you possibly explain uh, for our listeners what is the basis of their claim that Russia has committed crimes against humanity? Great question. So a couple of things about that. One is that the president of the United States does not use that language without it being a very carefully considered deliberate choice. Yeah. So there were endless meetings and debates and decisions within the administration about whether or not he and Vice President Harris would use that language. There is a growing body of evidence indicating that Russia has committed what by any reasonable definition are war crimes okay. um, and therefore are crimes against humanity prosecutable in international tribunals. The Ukrainians would like to also have them prosecuted in Ukrainian courts. Um, we started to see the accumulation of that evidence when we liberated Bucha and when Ukraine liberated Bucha and some other suburban towns around Kyiv just a couple of months into the conflict last spring, we saw evidence of executions of unarmed persons. We saw evidence of torture of both civilian and military personnel in Ukraine. Um, 
I'm actually appearing in about an hour on a 24-hour Ukrainathon, um, a 24-hour series of conversations and uh, broadcasts and presentations and um, art displays and musical performances by um, people in and, and working on Ukraine, where I am interviewing uh, a guy who uh, is a former deputy health minister of Ukraine who now runs a foundation called the Ukrainian Healthcare Foundation, and for the last year, its work has been documenting Russia's deliberate military attacks on Ukrainian healthcare facilities. Oh, so gathering the evidence, documenting it so that the evidence will be there when the criminal cases happen um, later. And he has shared with me that there is evidence that these attacks have been systematic and deliberate and you're you're into war crimes territory there yeah, so okay. um, I, I hats off um to the president and the vice president for having what took some political courage to use that language in referring to what's happened okay judy is there time for one more can i ask one more question sure i'll be very brief is this russia's last war <laughs> like because medvedev right the previous president was like if this doesn't go we crumble as a country like, or something like that. I'm, I'm sure he said it much not, like more carefully than that, but it's what it sounded like to me. That's what he was saying. Is that accurate? What a great question. And we, um, as observers, as analysts, it's very easy to, for us to get caught up into wishful thinking uh, ways of approaching an issue like this. Um, I mean, Russia is a huge country, right? Enormous GDP, 11 time zones worth of territory. It is whipping itself into this frenzy, right? So when you say Medvedev said, you know, this is it, you know, we live or die by whether or not we, we emerge on the other side of this war victorious, they are painting themselves into that rhetorical corner in a big way. Um, the Ukrainians right now, understandably, are not willing to entertain the notion that there could be some kind of negotiated settlement that involves anything other than moving Russia back to its pre-2014 borders, which means pushing Russia not only out of the eastern parts of occupied Ukraine, but also out of the Crimean Peninsula. Ah. Um, that is a very difficult proposition for Russia, again, given the way that Russia has framed the conflict politically, um, taking Crimea back in 2014 was an enormously politically popular move inside Russia. Um, overwhelming support for it, genuine support for it in, uh, in public opinion polls. So it's hard to imagine Putin's regime surviving military defeat by the Ukrainians. But when we talk about the wishful thinking aspect of this, you know, we get into sort of the next logical corollary of the old sayings, which is be careful what you wish for, yeah. because what comes after Putin could be even worse than what we have now. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of talk now about splits within the Russian security apparatus leadership. Um, I mean, I, I know we want to wrap up here, but maybe for a future podcast, um, the Wagner Group, Russia's independent paramilitary forces headed by a guy named Prigozhin, who's very close friends with Putin. Um, they're kind of like 
off the range right now. They're doing their own thing. Prokhorin um, called the defense minister a traitor the other day um, for not having prosecuted the war adequately, successfully. Um, so, you know, listeners I'm on, there's lots of chatter about whether or not we're headed to civil war in Russia. That's, that, that opens up that kind of possibility that we could have new leadership that is even more hostile to the West than Putin is where all of the restraining bolts are off um, or where there's just total chaos in this very large nuclear armed country. Um, Well, okay, so that's the takeaway for me not to sleep at night. Thanks, (laughs) I told you that New START wasn't the thing you should do. Yep, yep, I'm civil war in, in, uh, yeah, no, that within nuclear power, that's, that's, uh, yep, thank you. That's gonna keep me up. Um, But but I, what I heard- Just real briefly to bring us back to the global health hat that I wear most of the time. Um, When you're staying up at night, let's have a podcast episode soon where we talk about the outbreak of bird flu in Canada. And the oh, human yeah. oh wow okay. okay yes i what i just heard Augie, is that uh judy just invited herself back for two <laughs> podcast episodes both of which i'm excited to hear about so she is now committed and that means that we get time on her schedule which i am really happy about because it is hard to get on your schedule you're a very busy woman and lots of people want your time and we really appreciate you giving it yes. to us yeah, thank um, you. Because this has been a discussion in my office, and I know it's been a discussion with with Augie's students. Yeah. So thank you for helping us put various parts of this in perspective, and um, on this one year anniversary. And we will be back with you soon because you committed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, and we Judy. will take advantage. Thank you, Judy. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye.